When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. Listeners, we'd like to begin today's episode with a question. If you could have any superpower, which one would you choose? And why would it be the ability to avoid overdone icebreakers? Seriously, though, we think that this seemingly silly superpower question can actually reveal a lot about a person. For example, you'll want to steer clear of the Tinder date who chooses mind control as their preferred talent, Conversely, you should definitely marry the one whose greatest desire is the ability to communicate with their dog. The jury is still out on the desire to talk with cats, as that might reveal serious masochistic tendencies. And then, of course, there's the perennial favorite answer, the ability to fly. Just imagine, what if you could avoid the rush hour traffic, avoid cramming onto crowded buses or trains, and just go. You, the fresh air, the views, the birds, no more booking flights or taking off shoes for you. We really do get the appeal. Of course, in practice, we imagine it be a bit of a nightmare. The wear and tear on your hair alone would be monumental, and imagine the sunscreen you'd go through. And the heat? Well, poor Icarus made that pretty clear, we think. Here in real life, unfortunately... We're without superpowers, and without any real progress in personal flight. Science hasn't gone so far as to give us a flawless, retro-futuristic jetpack, and no one seems to have sprouted wings as far as we can tell. But if you have, please do get in touch. This podcast doesn't write itself. In any case, the skies up there seem untouchably high for most of us. But... Not for all. You see, our story today concerns someone, or someones, who seem to have cracked the mystery of flight. We begin in 1948, in a town in southwestern Washington state. Chehalis is a small town now, with just over 7,000 residents. In 1948, it had around 5,000, and was right on the cusp of switching over from a logging economy to a farming one. Being halfway between the urban centers of Seattle and Portland is and has been for a long time Chehalis' main claim to fame. Now, it's likely that the Chehalis resident with whom we begin, Bernice Sykowski, was not expecting to see anything extraordinary on January 6, 1948. Why would she? For Pete's sake, it was a Tuesday. Per the Oregonian, Bernice was Polish-born, but had been in Washington for years by the time our story takes place. 
And at 61 years old, she'd most certainly seen some things. But what she had not seen, not until January 6, 1948, was a flying man. As she told the Oregonian, Bernice was outside by her barn at around three in the afternoon when she heard a sizzin' and a whizzin'. She looked up and she saw, just 200 feet or so above the barn, the uncanniest thing. A man with big silver wings flying upright and piloting controls strapped to his chest. The wings didn't flap or rotate, and there wasn't any visible means of propulsion, and yet he remained in the air. And the flying man was nimble. He ascended rapidly, hovered, banked, and turned. Having plenty of fun, it seemed, over Bernice's barn. Bernice was startled, but by the same token, a little enchanted. And she insisted to the press that she was not the only person who'd seen this flying man. I know most people don't believe me, she told the Universal Press, but I have talked to some people in Chehalis that tell me they saw the man too, and that he flew in south from Chehalis and apparently came in from the north. There were a lot of small children coming home from school at the time. They saw the man too, and they asked me if they could go into my backyard so that they could watch him longer. Bernice didn't share or didn't know the names of her neighbors who'd seen what she called the Birdman. Now, if children had spotted him, you think they'd have bolted home to tell their parents about a flying man. And if they did, maybe they were dismissed because the papers couldn't find anyone willing to corroborate her story. Bernice did say that a soldier she met at church told her that the army had been working on Birdman technology for some time, which, if true, Seems like the sort of thing a soldier shouldn't be sharing with a 60-year-old church-going acquaintance. In any case, at that point, someone affiliated with the army did actually chime in. An official at a nearby army base told the Oregonian that the Birdman report, Sounds like one of those saucer deals. I just can't put any stock in it at all. Apparently, the local airport wasn't impressed by the story either. Per the Oregonian, quote, flyers at the Chehalis County City Airport said that they could find no record of a transient birdman making a refueling stop, although they conceded January 6 was a good day for flying. The Chehalis Police Department was informed about the whole affair, we assume by Bernice, though we can't say for sure, and they declined to investigate. Which, to be fair, could be defended, seeing as their only lead was, well, nothing. The alleged flying man had left behind not a single trace. But Bernice's acquaintances, the ones who hadn't seen the Birdman themselves, told the paper it just was not like Bernice to make something up. But if there were other additional witnesses, like Bernice had claimed, the neighbors and the schoolchildren, why couldn't the papers get any of them to talk? or even to anonymously offer their support. Strangers, we have no idea. And thus, with some minor excitement and a decisive verdict of, mm, nope, from the local authorities, the tale of the Washington Birdman whizzed away, specifically to the South. Four months later, 
The Oregonian ran another story about a birdman, but this time not in Chehalis. It seems that the Chehalis birdman might have continued heading south, and he'd ended up 40 miles south in Longview, Washington. And this time, he wasn't alone. On Friday, April 9th, 1948, a woman named Viola Johnson was outside her place of work, a laundromat. She was, presumably, minding her own business, maybe taking in the fresh air, a welcome break from the machinery and detergents inside. Whatever she was up to, the 56-year-old widow was interrupted when something caught her eye from above. Three figures hovering 200-odd feet in the air. She yelled for her co-workers, but as Viola told it, only one of them, James Pittman, got outside in time to see the flying men. Now, Viola was the only one quoted by the Oregonian, though it seems that both she and James Pittman spoke with their reporter. As Viola told it, they looked like three men in flying suits flying through the air. They wore dark, drab flying suits. They were going at about the same speed as a freight train and had some kind of apparatus on their sides which looked like guns. But I know it couldn't have been guns. Why she was so certain about this, we have no idea. In any case, Viola told the Oregonian that she could not see the flyers' faces or arms, but was certain they were men. Men wearing boxy gray uniforms and goggles. Like Bernice, she couldn't see any propellers or motors, but thought that she might have heard one, something that sounded like a jet engine, but quieter. The Oregonian noted that several other Longview residents had complained about hearing plane motors that afternoon, and some had reportedly seen three planes circling Longview at high altitudes. Might they have actually seen birdmen? high enough in the air that they were indistinguishable from normal aircraft. Hearing and seeing planes is, of course, far from a solid confirmation. But still, it seems like two eyewitnesses, plus a few earwitnesses, and sort of eyewitnesses, it all adds up to a somewhat more credible story, right? Well, wrong. We regret to inform you that there was, unfortunately, a catch. Per a story picked up by the International News Service, James Pittman, Viola's co-worker and co-Birdman seer, reneged, and fast. The following day, the INS ran a story which began as follows. James Pittman, a Longview janitor, cried uncle today. After much joshing from his friends, he said he had not seen three flying men after all. We don't, unfortunately, get any further details about the joshing James endured. We assume it was absolutely grueling, the joshiest of joshings. Whatever a joshing is, it was enough for James to declare that he and Viola had not seen flying men. It had been a practical joke on their co-workers, and nothing more. But per INS... Viola remained adamant that what she told the Oregonian was true and that the flying objects had very clearly been men. You'll recall that, in the original article, other residents had seen what at least appeared to be planes, behaving unusually sure, and that there were three of them circling Longview. So, was Viola mistaken or lying? Did three planes somehow grow legs and heads and descend 200 feet in the air, but 
only for her? It's at this point that we must give a nod to what seems to be the officially sanctioned explanation. If the following works for you, please feel free to adopt it and go on with your day. But strangers, we'd be lying if we said that we weren't left with some lingering questions. The day before Halloween in 1976, nearly 30 years after the sightings in Chehalis and Longview, an article appeared in Centralia, Washington's Daily Chronicle, titled, Beware, the Mothman Cometh. You'd probably expect some spicy cryptid content. We sure did. Regrettably, what you get instead is fairly milk toast, a very broad overview of Mothman sightings in the U.S. and abroad. The important bit here is this. There is a very interesting addendum to this overview, addressing the quote, winged weirdie spotted decades before in nearby Chehalis. Interesting how, you might ask. Well, it seems that as far as the Daily Chronicle was concerned, Bernice Zykowski's sightings of the Chehalis Birdman was solved not long after it happened. In the article, a Mrs. George Zykowski, relationship to Bernice Unclear, expressed displeasure with how the press handled the whole Birdman thing. They made it seem so dumb. Bernice was old country, and when she tried to explain what she saw, it sounded weird, hard to understand. As Mrs. George Zykowski told it to the Daily Chronicle, the family had decided that the Birdman Bernice had seen was actually a man in a parakeet. As the author clarifies, that's a precursor to the modern hang glider and paraglider. As Mrs. George Zykowski told the paper, they were trying to find some place to use hang gliders. There were those who felt that the area would have been a good place for it. The region of Washington that we're discussing is about as flat as the state gets, so it would make sense that the proto-hang gliders were interested. Fewer mountains to run into as they worked out the kinks. And, as the Daily Chronicle points out, the sight of such a thing could well have appeared otherworldly to Bernice. Quote, To Mrs. Bernice Zykowski, born in Poland and used to old country ways, the contraption was something strange. And it was, really. Any flying man is. It's a solid line of reasoning, if we do say so ourselves. Or, it might be. Except for one strange thing. Hang gliders don't make erratic movements, or shoot up and down in the air, or make any mechanical sounds. They glide. The Birdman in Chehalis and Longview did much more than glide, according to the people who apparently saw them. They move so nimbly and quickly that, as far as we can tell, they can't really be explained away by any tech that existed in the late 1940s. Anything that flew that was smaller than a plane probably would have been radio-controlled, so a group of them, like in the Longview sighting, would have been difficult to control, if not impossible, and they sure wouldn't move smoothly, as anyone with an RC car growing up could attest. Maybe a modern drone could mimic that behavior. Maybe. And even we have to agree that the likeness doesn't make the potential explanation any clearer, because we're not quite ready to make the leap into time-traveling drone territory. So, what's left as far as an explanation for the Birdmen? There are two schools of thought, as far as we can find. 
The first is utterly on brand for this show, and a few of you have probably been shouting it into your empty cars for 15 minutes now. So say it with us. Aliens. There are, naturally, those who believe then, and who do now on internet forums aplenty, that the Chehalis and Longview Birdmen were UFHs, or Unidentified Flying Humanoids. Humanoids, of course, implying that they were not wholly human. According to the Oregonian, Bernice Sykowski, the Chehalis woman who saw the first Birdman, said she described it to a man she knew, and that man, without missing a beat, said it sounded like she'd seen an angel. More specifically, he suspected it was an angel whose presence signified the coming of a third world war. We wish we could tell you who this man was or how we thought he knew this with such specificity, but Bernice didn't share any of that with the paper. This third world war doesn't seem to have happened yet, so if it was an angel, it would have been playing quite the long game. In any case, modern enthusiasts of the otherworldly have certainly taken an interest in the Birdmen. But what exactly were they? Perhaps, unsurprisingly, they can't seem to agree. Weird Washington notes that this was a high-traffic period for UFOs in Washington state. In 1947, the year before the Birdmen made the papers, a UFO sighting occurred not far from Chehalis and Longview. The Maury Island incident would, according to the Skeptical Inquirer, become a prominent one in saucerology circles. And yes, that means what you think it means. The short version is that on June 24, 1947, a private pilot named Kenneth Arnold allegedly spotted nine shiny metallic UFOs zooming past Mount Rainier. According to the debunkersdomain.com, this is actually where the term flying saucer came from. Kenneth Arnold went public with something unprecedented, and the press had to come up with new language to describe it. A private harbor patrolman backed up Kenneth's story with his own sighting and said that he had seen fragments of material that had fallen from the UFOs. Heavy fragments that allegedly, when they fell to Earth, broke the arm of one of his crewmates and fell on, we're sorry to spring this on you, a dog. Then the Air Force got involved. A lieutenant and captain flew out to Washington. They conducted interviews, collected evidence. And then, on their way back to the base in California from which they'd come, their B-25 plane caught fire and crashed in Washington. Both the lieutenant and the captain perished, their plane and its contents all but destroyed. On a crash site miles away from the barn where, just six odd months later, Bernice Sykowski would see a birdman buzzing around the sky. Now, we're, uh, obligated to tell you this next bit due to our desire to not be, uh, <clears throat> disappeared by any men in black, but the FBI did investigate the sighting and the Air Force investigation and concluded in documents that are now public that the sighting was officially a hoax. So, does any of this add up to, well, anything? Dear listeners, we leave that as ever, up to you. Chehalis and Longview are 40 and 80 miles away, respectively, from a military base. 
And it's worth noting that as all this was happening, a hometown Seattle aircraft manufacturer, one called Boeing, was finding its post-war wings. Is it out of the realm of possibility that some secret but very man-made technology was being tested in some little towns well south of Seattle? Well, according to JSTOR Daily, the U.S. military wasn't publicly working on jetpack technology, not until the mid to late 1950s. And of course, we always trust official statements made by military intelligence. That's why we are not at all interested in Area 51. Yep, definitely not interested. We will never tell you what to think, strangers. But we'll remind you, as a closing note, that dealing with realms of possibility is a tricky thing. After all, there was once a time when it was impossible for humans to defy gravity at all. And now, certain people, bored rich people, go to the edge of space just for fun. So for our part, we certainly don't consider the sky to be a limit. We hope you'll join us next time for another story from the fine print of America's local papers. From the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Oh, and strangers. One Strange Thing is an entirely independent production. To support the show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, join us over on Patreon. There, you'll receive early ad-free versions of our regular episodes, plus premium episodes, blogs, monthly live streams, and more, all for just five bucks a month. We hope you'll check it out. There's a link in our show notes. 